1: health ailment? Ever have a, a disease, whether it's something relatively um, relatively non-disruptive like psoriasis, which I have, or something that is potentially terminal like, uh, like cancer? Do you know who the best person to talk to about that ailment is? In almost every instance I've seen, The best person to talk to about whatever ailment you've had, you have, whether whether it's cancer, whether it's a, a, um, you know, bloated bloated, uh, prostate, whether it's psoriasis, is someone that has had that issue before and dealt with it for a very long time because chances are they've not only researched it, not because it's their job, but they've researched it time and time again because this is their life. And they've spoken with every doctor there is in all likelihood. Same thing if you have questions about uh, working out, right? The person that you're going to ask if you're interested in uh, building up muscle mass or losing weight is not some average ordinary schlub, but it's somebody that actually has been through the kind of body transformation that you're interested in. Same thing about just about any aspect of life, if you're buying a car, you ask someone who might have a similar car. Anybody that's kind of been through the ringer before, I will tell you, when it comes to the legal system, far and away, the most studied, some of the most studied and informed people that I know are people who have been convicted of felonies. Why? Because they have spent their time analyzing this six ways from Sunday, just like a cancer patient would, because it affects their lives. Now, imagine this. Imagine finding someone who's not just a felon and the kind of jailhouse jurist that people would uh, line up around the cell block to consult with and get information from. But imagine someone who was also an incredibly well-respected and well-regarded and successful attorney. Isn't that exactly the kind of person that you'd want to hear some legal insight from? Well, I got news for you. We have assembled not just one ex-lawyer and ex-convicted and and ex-felon. We have assembled a panel of three of three former attorneys and ex-cons, from the courtroom to the cell block, we from bars of all kinds to broadcasting, I am very pleased to welcome back uh, to the program uh, three folks that have been guests on the program before, Andrew McKenna, who, in addition to being a former federal prosecutor and a Marine, is the author of a uh, terrific book called Sheer Madness, From Federal Prosecutor to Federal Prisoner. These days, he's the executive director of Graylock Recovery. Andrew, it's great to talk with you. Thanks for coming back.
0: Frank, thanks for having me. Great to hear you.
1: And now, I believe uh, both of the other the gentlemen that are that are with us today, I think I might have actually sent them your book I, when they were incarcerated in their most recent stint. Uh, let me uh, say hello to uh, Richard Luthman. He hasn't written a book yet, but trust me, when that book gets written, it is going to be something that they make not into a movie, but into into ten movies. Richard Luthman, a former attorney and, and uh, convicted felon as well. Hello there, Richard. Hey Frank, how are you doing? Doing great. Hey, did I send you Andrew McKenna's book when you were in prison? I have, no, I haven't seen his book. I, right, well, I might
2: have been before before it came out.
1: All right. Well, you should uh, check it out regardless. And let me also welcome uh, Dominic Crispino, uh, ex attorney, ex convict, and legal commentator. Hello there, Dominic. Hey Frank, how are you? Good. It's great to have all three of you here. And I know um, I know a lot of the cases in the news are both political cases and legal cases. I know you guys, all three, all three of you, have uh, pretty strong opinions when it comes to political stuff. I'd love to, and you know, feel free to give him honestly, but I'd love to, whenever possible, to parse the legal analysis from the political analysis because somebody may say, unless there's obviously an instance where it can't be done, where you say, all right, this uh, is a case that would never have come to a courtroom, but for the political parties of the people involved. And let's begin with, uh, with Hunter Biden. R- Richard, I'll, I'll begin with you. A very interesting situation uh, on uh, Thursday of last week where he's now been indicted on tax charges in california this uh, basically is in addition to the previous indictment that the special counsel brought which had to do with uh, lying on uh, on a gun form and this is something that uh, that the prior charges look like they were poised to go away with a plea deal until that blew up at the last minute richard as best you can explain to us what hunter biden is being charged with here and what your analysis of the situation is
2: yeah, uh, he's been charged with nine tax-related uh, crimes. Six of them are misdemeanors, and, and three of them are felonies. Um, I think what you just said, uh, the politics is, is, is tied up in this, because unless the person's last name was Biden, you know, or Trump, or something big like, big like that, this case is never brought by a federal prosecutor. Also, like you alluded to, the, uh, the deal that was uh, potentially had, if that deal goes through for the gun, this case doesn't get brought either. So I think that there's a couple of, of things that, that are really unlucky for Hunter Biden here. Now, it's not the it's not the worst you know case that there is, though. It, I think it does carry potentially 17 years uh, in prison if he's convicted and everything and is given the maximum. But it's 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 three uh, felonies and, and six misdemeanors. Uh, and what you have there is it, it's basically uh, the government's main complaints are he was living high on the hog. He had plenty of money. He owed taxes and repeatedly and repeatedly and repeatedly didn't pay the government back and spent it on other things. And those other things uh, were, you know, hookers and drugs and, you know, uh, living the high life. So uh, that, that, that this is, uh, it, it's truly a case that doesn't uh, get investigated or, or hit, hit an indictment, get presented to a grand jury. If that, that first gun charge uh, goes away, uh, I think that the, that the government would have, would have taken their pound of flesh in that, but th- that's what happens kind of when you have indictments lingering, they, they tend to multiply.
1: Yeah, that's very interesting. Dom, uh, let me bring you in, uh, Dom Crispino. It did seem like a lot of folks were saying when he was poised to get that plea deal that Hunter Biden was getting special treatment in a positive manner because of who his father is now with both the gun uh, charges and this tax indictment. Some people are saying he's actually being sing- singled out for For worse treatment than what uh, somebody would get if their name was Hunter Smith, how do you view this case, Dom?
3: I think that's a fair assessment, Frank. Uh, I I think uh, initially the way he was been treated was uh, was was pretty lenient, and now I think they've gone the other way. Uh, In the first case, uh, in the first uh, plea deal, uh, because there might be another one, we don't know. uh, They um, it was going to have a diversion program, and the diversion program was going to trigger um pro i think probation um and other charges were going to go away i mean that's that's you know that's pretty lenient these days um al- although we, ha- we have not really seen the details of that yet i mean it's all going to surface now um and now at this point you know they uh, he's getting the full treatment you know usually when they um when they bring a case and it involves money of any kind whether it's money stolen or money not paid for taxes you know, they 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 bring out um, what what it was spent on. You know, you, uh, if you're having affairs, it would come out because <laughs> you know the, mo- the money paid for it. If you uh, if you you know they they'll they'll you know they'll bring out the size of your boat. You know, and um, you know uh, the the websites you visited. So he's getting the full treatment right now, um, and it's gone the other way, which is extraordinary, actually. You know, in just a short period of time.
1: Andrew McKenna, I know, um, you know, Hunter Biden, so much of his issues seem tied up with uh, his being in the throes of addiction. He's acknowledged that he's written about that. A lot of this money seems to be spent on drugs. You've written in your book, Sheer Madness, which honestly I can't recommend enough, whether you're in prison or not, uh, that people should absolutely check out about your own battles with uh, with addiction. And now you're uh, now you're working in recovery give me your take on the on the situation involving Hunter Biden does he have I hate to use it this way because a lot of people get uh, get into very serious recovery programs after a brush with the law but does he have a, an addiction card to play here that may give him uh, a little bit of an easier time than someone else that was similarly charged
0: well well two things and one I always, almost always agree with Richard and Dominic, right? Um, But I have to say, just going back quickly here, the case out of Delaware, the thing that was so shocking about the original plea offer and the plea deal was the immunity uh, that he would have gotten under that deal for, uh, for future investigations and from other jurisdictions. And the judge was shocked Um, when they first brought the the plea offer and plea deal to her attention. And so it went a little bit beyond just a sweet deal for a politician's son. Uh, It was really extraordinary what he was being offered in that case. And then also, um, in terms of the case out of California, I agree with Richard to a point. But it was four years, $1.4 million. And when I was with the Justice Department, we brought tax cases for less than that. Uh, plus, he wrote a book about it. I mean, he flaunted it. He was with hookers, right. he was with exotic dancers. I mean, this guy was living it up. So, to address the addiction piece of it, there was a point, I can guarantee it, very early on in that four year run, and he was on a run. If you read, I've read excerpts from his book. Um, that he was not having fun anymore because of his addiction. He was really living uh, a life of hell. And that's the nature of addiction. It's, you know, for a lot of people, it can be fun in the beginning. Uh, of course, now with fentanyl, it's it could be deadly in the beginning. The first try, it can be deadly. And that's with cocaine, heroin, um, you know, marijuana. So we have people dying with fentanyl marijuana laced with fentanyl now. So um, there was a time when when Hunter Biden was no longer having fun and was in the throes of his addiction, the compulsion stage of addiction, where he really had lost his free will uh, because the brain chemical changes in his his brain, he could not put it down. He could not walk away from it. It's hard for people to swallow that, but it's true. Um, And that was certainly, you know, my case. Um, in terms of opioids, hurt my back in the Marine Corps, started doing opioids, uh, went through a terrible custody and divorce battle um, and sort of lost my way and ended up robbing banks. So, uh, of course, I'm not proud of that. That goes back a couple of decades now. But um, in any event, yeah, I think addiction, I don't think it's going to help him um, in terms of negotiations. I don't think the government really cares Mm -hmm. that much about Mm -hmm. it. Hey, uh, just... uh... Uh, he, He... Yeah.
1: Yeah. No, a quick logistical question. And uh, I'll I'll ask you, Andrew, because you were uh, a federal prosecutor, as you alluded to the, the Delaware case and the California case. And uh, pardon me if this sounds like uh, a foolish question, but I think some listeners may have this question. D- are, does that mean we're looking at two different trials at two different in two different jurisdictions? And do we have any idea what the time frame would be in either of those trials?
0: Yes, it's two different trials, two different jurisdictions. And, you know, one being uh, Delaware, one being California. I'm not sure what's happening in Delaware, um, but I know in California, he was just indicted last week. Uh, this could go potentially for a year, nine months to a year. It depends on how quickly they want to move it. If they if this were being tried in the Eastern District of Virginia, um, he'd have a trial in about four months. It's a rocket docket, and they just they don't waste any time there. But California, I could see this dragging out for some time.
1: Hey, uh, Richard, it seems like the trials that are able to get heard very quickly are trials that involve the defendant name being Trump. Um, wh- any prediction in terms <laughs> of whether this trial actually comes to fruition before the election or after?
2: There's there's so many legal issues here, uh, like the the, the immunity uh, thing that came down the other day. Uh, he just uh, his lawyer just appealed it to the. Well, no, uh, no, the,
1: uh, but let me just finish with the Hunter uh, Biden situation we'll oh, get to Oh, the, Trump the Hunter second. one.
2: Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, so the Hunter thing, um, I'll tell you what, it, it, I, it, I, I I wouldn't I would bet against uh, the the trial happening anytime soon, both in Delaware and in California, for the the the, the main reason that he's out. When you're out on bond, and especially in a white-collar case, which the a tax case is, the strategy is to waive speedy trial time and to delay as much as you can. Uh, if you're the defense attorney, uh, it's a paper case, uh, so you know usually it's uh, you know either the government has it or they don't. And really, like Andrew said, the onus is going to be on how quickly the government wants to move. But they usually have other cases where you have people who are on the inside that might be pushing speedy trial, or other cases that 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 uh, that might take precedence uh, over over the Hunter Biden, which is a guy that's out and a guy that's uh, do, doing basically a white collar case uh definitely in, in in California the gun is is, is troubling and problematic in in, in Delaware but it, it uh you know it's it's not going to be one that's going to be uh is going to that's going to be pushed i don't think hey, uh dom uh, quick quick answer here right i mean my take and uh, you
1: know i'm not a lawyer but i i like to think I, I understand the political system pretty well and i think i understand human nature pretty well my take is there is no scenario at all in which, after the election, Joe Biden doesn't pardon Hunter Biden for every one of these crimes. A- am I off base at all? No.
3: Yeah, he certainly will. He certainly will. I mean, that's that's his prerogative as president. I know a lot of people uh, were upset at Trump for doing. Uh, Things like that, and uh, you know well, the, every, Clintons, uh, the reality you know, is every president did it, yeah. no, I, yeah, I
1: mean, honestly, did it on the way out. Yeah, no, I mean, honestly, I think yeah. every president yeah. does that. They, they, I mean, that's the whole point of getting elected president is to pardon all your friends and family members. <laughs> so, I, I mean, uh, Andrew, do you disagree at all? I mean, is to me this is no. a slam dunk I, pardon
0: slam dunk and it's an absolute power. It's 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 not reviewed by any any branch of the government. It's an absolute power. It's certainly gonna pardon his son.
1: All right. Well, we're going to continue in a moment. We'll talk about some of these Trump cases. There's some interesting ap- aspects of it, both civilly and criminally. We'll get into it with Richard Luthman, Andrew McKenna and Dom Crispino in just a minute. If time permits, we'll try and take a few calls uh, for this, uh, this panel. 800-848-9222. 800 9222 Do me a favor, though. Don't call and ask legal advice for your own personal legal situation, because uh, while they obviously these three men are very intelligent, they obviously were not not intelligent enough to stay out of going to prison so you know the, maybe these are not the folks that you should consult with in terms of your own legal issues but if you have other questions about any of the cases we're talking about feel free 800 848 this is the other side of midnight
0: straight ahead the other side of midnight with frank Morano.
1: the other side of midnight i'm frank morano joined by legal outlaws unplugged that's right Three uh, very distinguished attorneys, now former attorneys because they've been disbarred. The reason they were disbarred had something to do with some criminal convictions. All of their cases are interesting. We've talked about all of their cases on this program uh, from time to time. If you uh, ever want to, you know, if you're ever bored, Google any of their three names and you will be in for a treat. And I I assure you that boredom will not be on the agenda. Uh, Joined by Andrew McKenna, he's the executive director. Director of Greylock Recovery, also the author of the book uh, Sheer Madness, uh, Dominic Crispino and Richard Luthman. Hey, Andrew, uh, let me ask you about this because I know you've written on this subject previously. A caller brought up on Friday the idea of uh, people actually voting while incarcerated. And uh, another caller pointed out that, hey, you know, these prisoners are counted for purposes of the census in the area where they're incarcerated, not where they lived when they were um, arrested. What's your view, Andrew, on whether or not people should be able to vote not after their sentence is over, but actually while they're in prison?
0: I I wrote an article about this some time ago and I'm, I'm pro uh, prisoners being allowed to vote. It's, it doesn't make any sense to use that as a punishment. Um, Number one is it's a fundamental right to vote. And it makes no sense. They're already being punished by being incarcerated away from their families, friends, loved ones they are doing their time and to take away their ability to vote robs us as citizens of a lot of different things. When they're engaged in something like that, Frank, they are researching the issues. Some of the brightest people I've met are, are I met in prison. They're researching the issues. They're engaged. They're thinking about uh, the future. They're thinking about the impact that uh, their vote will have on the communities in which they live. Uh, they're connecting with their families, they're having interesting conversations. This is what rehabilitation's about, is, is is getting involved with civics. It makes no sense. There's no connection between punishing by taking a vote away and uh, a crime that was committed. It, it makes no sense to me whatsoever. Dom
1: Crispino, you've run for office before. What's uh, What's your take on what Andrew just said? Do you think people should be able to vote while they're incarcerated?
3: I, I I do I agree a hundred percent and I, I think it's a fundamental question that 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 goes hand in hand with your idea of what uh, democracy is. Um, think about a situation where people are are uh, convicted or targeted and 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 they can't vote and large groups of people maybe are targeted where they can't vote. It's it's the kind of setup that you can see in a um, in a dictatorship. I think uh, Andrew was correct. When you are convicted, there are consequences. But why is this a consequence? It makes no
1: sense. Um, right. They don't give why, you a break from is, paying taxes or anything like that, right? Right. But there is one hitch, though.
3: The question is, where do you vote? Do you vote in the community where you're living at that point, which is the, uh, where the correctional facility is? I mean, we had a joke up in, um, in Dannemora when I was at Clinton that if we were able to vote, we could have elected the mayor of the town. You know, because we have more people, more guys in the prison than there were in the town. Um, And, you know, the the logistics of it, you know, if if that's not the case and it's back where you were, what if you don't have an address there anymore? It's logistically a little bit of a problem. Sure. uh, But I'm certainly not one that's going to, that should stop. Or prevent uh, a, a felon from voting. Yeah,
1: I'm 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 for it. Yeah, somebody pointed out to me on uh, Friday, uh, Richard, because obviously there's been a lot of discussion of Israel lately that Israel actually does this. They allow people to vote while they're in prison, and the uh, the assassin of Yitzhak Rabin actually was able to then vote for the opposing party, which does strike people as a little a little odd. A lot of other people say, look, you know, I don't want my vote undone by a child molested. or or a convicted murderer where where are you on this uh, Richard and also uh, let me ask you the other other question that I raised on Friday because I've talked about this with other people that have served in prison and what they've said is sometimes there's a great deal of intimidation in prison not only on the part of other inmates but on the part of correction officers and can you really trust that uh, people that are going to be voting from behind bars aren't somehow being coerced into voting for some candidate or some Cause or another.
2: Well, put it this way: given what the prison population is, it's a, it's if you if you give it away or you allow voting in the uh, in the prisons, it's going to be three to one Democrat to Republican. That's uh, that's just a, a fact. And uh, well, my view is on, I, I I I sympathize and I see the the the, the, the philosophical and the policy reasons that that uh, Andrew and Dom advanced uh having uh, people who are trying to rehabilitate be invested and involved in the community i just believe it should be up to the to the states themselves uh and i think that and potentially the federal government but i think that if there's going to be a uh a voting i think it should be um you know on the fed on the federal level and, and, and maybe on a, on a limited state level, as the states would have it, because for the reason that Dom said, you have all these people put into a place that they have no connection to. Uh, these prisons, uh, what, what, what need do they have to vote in a local election? Maybe a statewide election, sure, but local, local elections, assembly districts, state senate districts, you know, we have people pandering to the, the prison vote in certain places. That, that gets a little crazy.
1: Right, yeah, um, if, I'm, uh, if I'm a, a resident of uh, Colorado's Supermax, right, do I really, am I an authority on uh, the best way to fix potholes in Florence, Colorado?
2: Probably not. Yeah. Exactly. So maybe maybe a, a carve out for you know the president and for federal office holders like uh, Congress people and, uh, and 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 the senators, uh, United States senators, and maybe for statewide office holders, for governors and lieutenant governors and attorney gen- attorneys general, uh, because I could see those affecting the, the prisoners' lives. But the local stuff really doesn't. At the end of the day, you know, there's no there's nobody there's nothing in local government that anybody in local government can do for somebody in prison. And there's never going to be a point where somebody in prison is going to want to petition somebody in local government. It's only going to go to a governor. It's only going to go to the the president or to a federal uh, to a, to a congressperson if they're in the in the feds. So that's I, I think that's the, I, I think that should be the limits. Um, and I, I think that it's skewed uh, heavily towards the Democratic Party. Uh, so just because for that reason, I would say that it, uh, you should leave it to the states. And if certain states want to do it, then states do it. And if certain states want to don't want to do it, then certain states don't do it.
1: Well, maybe that's Republicans, if what you say is true, and I'm going to give Andrew the last word, uh, you know, on this. But if what you say is true, maybe Republicans would be more likely to start committing more crimes if they knew they could keep their right to vote. Maybe that's uh, maybe that's part of the problem. Andrew, uh, <laughs> any response to what Richard just said there?
0: No, I I agree with Richard and Dominic as well. You know, it it doesn't make sense for them to vote in local elections, as you mentioned, the potholes and stuff. Um, But a lot of people that go to prison stay within their, uh, you know, voting area. And so perhaps those folks could could vote Mm -hmm. um, just if they were free. Uh, but one thing is, you know, I think, and this is, I don't have the numbers for this, and this is really sort of anecdotal, but a lot of the people that I was locked up with, you would think, you, you would guess that they were Democrats, they were registered Democrats at some point, but they would surprise you. I don't know that it would be three to one, um, it, you know, it, it would definitely be skewed towards Democratic votes, but I don't know, I, I'd be surprised Um if yeah. It
1: you know, it is interesting. And and we'll move on. But uh, the Marshall Project a couple of years ago did a uh, an interesting piece where they profiled the political views of uh, people behind bars. And and it was I don't remember what it was, but it was not as much of a, a Democrat to Republican disparity as that. But um, but we'll move on. We'll revisit this in the future. Uh, I let me ask you guys about the uh, Trump cases. There are so many. The news came out just a few hours ago that President Trump is not going to testify in this civil trial, this civil trial that's been brought by the Attorney General Letitia James. This We were told that uh, President Trump was going to testify. They're putting on their defense portion of the case. This is one of those things where, you know, murder is easy to understand. Rape is easy to understand. Even defamation, to some extent, is easy to understand this is a little bit of a complicated case for the average rank-and-file person to understand. Dom, uh, just give us a brief primer on what this case is, and tell me what you make of uh, Trump's decision not to testify here.
3: Okay, well, the case is basically uh, an equity action, which means that there's a, uh, it's an action brought to really prevent uh, uh, or create a remedy or prevent wrongdoing. Uh, it, it's... It's a statute that deals with the uh, the jurisdiction of the state over over corporations and business entities, and they they, bring, they brought this case saying that the uh, the Trump Trump uh, the the Trump family and these these this this organization this, this cluster of companies um, is is has committed fraud, and they want to bar that uh, the participants from further holding uh, corporate offices in the state uh and uh and penalize them not 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 damages but penalize them for what they've done in the past um that's why there's no jury involved um you you know they they had this issue over whether or not there was a waiver or there wouldn't have been a jury even if they they wanted one but so at this point there's been a uh dozens of witnesses from the state and uh and from the defense uh the judge has already decided liability on something called summary judgment that is he decided that there's no genuine issues of material fact on the claim itself uh which means that uh they're just doing a a, um um a trial on the remedy here um i mean if it was a a criminal case it would be sentencing but it's not it's not a criminal case it's civil so uh, all this testimony is has to do with a remedy now Trump said he was going to testify. I mean, and his attorney says we don't want him to testify, but he has the right to if he wants to. Uh, but ultimately, what was he going to contribute to this? Um, you had other people testify. You had experts who've testified eloquently uh, on uh, on 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 behalf of the Trump organization that there actually was no fraud, uh, even though the judges determined that there was fraud already, and and. They're correct, by the way. There was no fraud. There's, there's, there's always a damage element when there's fraud. What, hap- what you have here is typical of what happens in real estate, especially in New York. Um, you have, uh, you, 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 you're applying for loans. Um, uh, you're using the equity in, 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 your, in your, or your, your companies, uh, the property you own, uh, equipment you own, whatever, whatnot. And the, the issue is the valuation of that stuff. And of course, in, in valuation is very much a subjective thing. So the, the the focus of this case is that the assets were inflated. You know, they're saying, you know, they're they're, they're saying the nine billion, six billion, whatever. When they're, they're, the the attorney general is saying, well, really it was only three billion. Okay, yeah. But the problem was they weren't borrowing three billion. The and the banks are required under law, and under case law, to do their own due diligence they're not going out and then just saying, "All right, Trump, you know, you mm-hmm. say you're worth nine billion. We're going to give you, you know, eighty uh, percent of that, seven point two billion in, uh, you know, in, in loans." No, what happens? They did their own due diligence. They came up with an amount and they said, "This is solid. If if Trump defaulted, we have a remedy. Well, clearly, we can recover this money back." And we're making a, a business decision to loan money. Um, there was no fraud here. And that, and that's the part that's that's really amazing about this. I'll tell you this: if there was fraud, the, the DA would have indicted it.
1: Yeah, no, I I think uh, that's somebody something that everybody can agree on. Hey, uh, Richard, uh, just. Feel free to say whatever you want in response to uh, what Dom said and add anything you like. One thing, one question I have about what Dom said is uh, Dom said that uh, there could not have been a jury trial here even if Trump wanted one. I've heard some uh, legal experts, including Ellie Honig on CNN, former federal prosecutor, say that, um, that that question is a little bit more complicated, that Trump might not have succeeded in getting a jury trial, but it's something that his lawyers— could have tried to litigate. Um, Give me your take on the case in general, Trump's decision not to testify, and whether or not Trump could have actually had
2: a jury trial here. Yeah, well, first thing is that Trump not testifying is probably the best move he's making. Uh, Like Dom said, there's nothing he can add to it. Uh, there's only, he only put his, his, his foot in his mouth if he does testify. Uh, he already had a moment on the stand with, with this judge, and this judge isn't buying anything that he says anyway. He took out that uh, piece of paper that showed uh, that there was an indemnification clause or a waiver clause, and uh, basically uh, Trump you know, made the argument when he was on the stand before. He said, look, these people were going to make the deal with me irrespective of what the value was because they wanted to do a deal with Trump. And they wanted to do a deal with the Trump brand, and they wanted to do a deal with the Trump properties, you know. And, and as Dom said, there's due diligence. It's you know caveat emptor. You know, uh, you know, you have, you have to go there, and and, and and you bear the risk when you when you when you uh, uh, give out the loans. The other other thing is that Trump has armies of lawyers, accountants, and appraisers. So to a certain extent, everyone there was relying on um, experts. Now I don't know how. This judge came to this uh, summary judgment decision. I think that's going to get knocked out on appeal. I think this is all just a waste of time, uh, frankly, because when it, once it gets to the appellate division, it's going to it's dead six ways from Sunday. Um, now, the, the case itself is— Meaning it's it'll be overturned. Uh, it'll get, you know, be overturned totally at the gonna appellate be, division. Totally going to be overturned. It might get chucked out for, for a couple of reasons. Well, no, First of all, on the, on the jury question that you asked, it, because it's an equitable remedy, it's, it's disfavored to have a jury because the juries will probably be confused as fine as a fact, and there are mixed issues there. They could have litigated that issue, but you can litigate just about anything. It was an outside shot at it, and they gave up the short yardage. So um they they probably it, it was probably was gonna to go to a judge as the finder in fact. But the biggest issue here that they have uh, on top of the bias that this judge has shown throughout this case, telling uh uh the uh, the attorneys trump 's attorneys to sit down and shut up uh telling trump i 'm not not here to listen to what you say well he 's on the stand this isn 't a political rally he 's had all these statements there that have been just not not uh, uh very uh, uh judge like and and uh, you know that's that stuff aside the whole bringing of this case by Tish James. Uh, also shows uh, vindictiveness, vendetta, because she ran on a platform. We're going to get him. We're going to get Donald Trump. And like Dom said, if if he would have jaywalked, if he would have had a parking ticket, if he would have done anything that could have been anywhere near the criminal realm, or anybody the last name Trump was anywhere near the criminal realm, you know that that case would have been brought by the Attorney General's Office. This is like the Booby Prize case that they're bringing. It's not really a great case, but it's given Tish James uh, a reason to get in front of the cameras every day. It's going to give her a reason to, to, to hoot and holler when, uh, when, when uh, this judge basically gives some draconian uh, remedy uh, to the Attorney General's office. It's not going to last, but she's going to have her a couple of days in, in the press where she, she slayed Trump. There, it's, it's going to probably be stayed immediately from enforcement by the appellate division. Uh, it's not going to go anywhere. It's probably going to get thrown out a few months later. So this is, it's, it's a waste of time, waste of money, but it's, it's, it's you know, it, it, this is what's happening. This is sometimes what, what you do when you have a political figure like Trump being prosecuted by another political figure uh, like Tish James.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, some people might point to this as uh, as a the, a case against elected prosecutors because obviously prosecutors run for office, and uh, you know if they can indict someone that's very unpopular in their jurisdiction, whether it's in Fulton County, Georgia, or in Manhattan or in New York State, uh, chances are that helps them politically. Andrew uh, McKenna, anything that you'd want to add to uh, what Richard or Dom said there?
0: Yeah, the the attorneys would be insane to let him testify at this point, because, you know, what they said about the Court of Appeals staying, And number one, you know, he's under oath. And you get a steel litigator on the government side and they're cross-examining him. They're going to they're going to get him to say things that probably aren't going to pass muster. And who knows? Maybe they come back with a perjury charge after that. You know, this is a so highly charged. He'd be insane to take the stand at this point.
1: Uh, The criminal aspects of the recent Trump cases that we've been watching, um, we've heard a lot about the gag order. We've heard a lot about his attempts at immunity. And by the way, if people are just tuning in, we're talking with uh, Andrew McKenna, Dominic Crispino and Richard Luthman. And um, R- Richard, and I know you have a Substack, by the way, and I'll ask P- you how people can subscribe to your Substack if they want to do that. But uh, Richard, uh, break that down for us. What was Trump claiming in terms of this immunity claim and what did the courts find? And is that something that's going to be determined ultimately by the Supreme Court?
2: Well, it, there's a claim that Trump has advanced that he has absolute immunity for everything that happens while he's uh, serving in office. And the January 6th happened while he was in office, and his claim is, I have absolute immunity. I was the president of the United States at the time. And uh, the district court judge uh, in Washington D.C. is an Obama appointee, and she basically said no dice. No, you, you're you're not a king. You're not. There's nothing in the Constitution that says that. There's nothing there that's, uh, that, that that comports with that interpretation. Uh, now that was just appeal. That was about a week ago that she she gave that that, that decision. Now and, and a few days ago that Trump's lawyers filed the appeal, or the notice of appeal, that they're going to appeal it to the D.C. Circuit. D.C. Circuit is probably one of the more liberal circuits in the country. That handles all the cases out of D.C. And so, you know, Trump's probably not going to get much play there. But if it goes to the Supreme Court of the United States, which it probably will, because this is a case that it's purely a legal argument. It's purely a a constitutional interpretation. It's really a novel issue. There's some stuff about this, but this issue itself would be, you know, a novel issue. This is one that the justices would want to weigh in on. And ultimately, I think that they will come down on uh, granting Trump the immunity, uh, only for for a, a very instrumental reason. Uh, and the instrumental reason is, if if they don't grant Trump the immunity, right, and and, and then 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 we have a situation where our government, uh, the government of the United States, cannot function. I don't think the framers would have ever intended. Uh, There to be a situation where uh, elected office, especially the most powerful elected office in the land, uh, is an invitation to to basically personally cripple yourself uh, through lawsuits. Now, I say this because there's uh, there's a a belief going out there by some that our friend uh, Mr. Biden, the president, isn't really the president. Some people say that he has somebody behind the scenes. Somebody that's, uh, you know, controlling the strings. Some people say it's even Barack Obama himself. Imagine if Trump gets in in 2024 and then the first thing he does on day one has a prosecutor go and try to prosecute uh, Barack Obama for a violation uh, a, a conspiracy to violate the oath of office of the president of Joe Biden by running the show from behind the scenes. Well,
1: you know, again, uh, you know, ma- ma- we're getting a little off the beaten path, but just, uh, President just, Trump say, uh, actually was, did, a lot of problems. in some of his comments this weekend, he actually did raise the possibility of uh, prosecuting Biden when uh, when he returns to the uh, Oval Office. Hey, uh, Dom, uh, the Trump criminal cases, the gag order and immunity, how do you view uh, both of those playing out?
3: Well, I mean, the gag order is ridiculous. I mean, you have a, you have a candidate for president uh, and and if you're running for president of all things, you should be able to speak your mind. Um, so I, I, the, the gag order is I don't know, it's dubious, you know, and it's a little game that's going on, you know, and of course, Trump's playing that game. He's like, he's, he's testing the boundaries of it, as he always does. Um, I think ultimately the gag order is Uh, you know it's 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 got a limited life to it you know and it's really just it's a sideshow it's a sideshow to this whole thing the 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 point the the the, what's going on here frank is a a race to the election as you know Mm -hmm. it's a practical thing Mm -hmm. for all these legal issues they're trying to get to the election because if trump wins the election the federal cases are gone uh the state cases can still be around but you know they can be dealt with um It'd be actually kind of odd though if he's convicted in the state court and he's and he's president. I mean, you know, what do we do? We Convene the, uh, you know, the joint chiefs of staff at you know at the Clinton Correctional yeah, Facility. Yeah, well, I, I think-
1: again, I, I think that's um, it, it does create no shortage of uh, of practical concerns. Andrew, give me a quick comment here because we we have to take a quick break. But uh, give me a quick word on this.
0: I disagree with what uh, Dominic was saying, about the gag order, it, it's just ridiculous. It's a game that's going back and forth. get the judge's ego and, and Trump's ego, and it, it makes her the uh, circus, essentially.
1: Yeah. All right. And we're going to continue, and we're finally going to get to people's calls in a moment. 800 uh, 848 Richard Luthman, Dom Crispino, and Andrew McKenna will join me straight ahead.
0: The Other Side of Midnight. The Other Side at Midnight with Frank Morano.
1: Bologna's Forum on the other side of midnight. Frank Marano here, joined by Andrew McKenna, Richard Luthman, and Dominic Crispino, three uh, former attorneys uh, that have also been convicted of felonies. Hey, uh, fellas, I want to ask you a little bit about something that deals with the legal system, but it also deals with the prison system. Recently, we saw the police officer that was convicted of uh, killing George Floyd, Derek Chauvin, stabbed 22 times, happened to be stabbed by someone that uh, at one time was an FBI informant. This comes not long after uh, Larry Nassar, the, uh, the person that was convicted of molesting Olympic athletes and others. Uh, he was assaulted in prison. Some people are raising the question of, does something need to be done differently about prison security? Others are saying, was this a situation where these people were put in circumstances where it was almost inevitable that uh, they were going to be assaulted or stabbed in some way? Andrew McKenna, let me uh, begin with you. Any thoughts on uh, these high-profile prisoners being assaulted or, in the case of some, even killed?
0: The only way to protect a prisoner is to put them into what's called a special housing unit where they're locked down in their cell 23 hours a day, and when they get out for that hour to exercise, they don't have contact with any other prisoners. That's almost... So that's one way. That's a miserable way to do your time. I, I spent 45 days in the shoe for fighting and defending myself. But anyhow, 45 days, it's a dark, dark place to be. So absent the shoe, the special housing unit, the whole, you're out in population. And they cannot protect every prisoner all the time. And if the guards don't like you, if the corrections officers don't like you and they're not good corrections officers, most of them are very good handful are not good, then they're going to turn a blind eye and you're going to get assaulted. Ultimately, if they want to get you, they're going to get you. And so there's only so much uh, Bureau of Prisons, understaffed, overworked corrections officers can do.
1: Dom, same question. Yeah.
3: Um, it is. Uh, Andrew laid it out pretty, pretty well. Um, it's either PC or population, but in New York, there's a, there's, there's a third way they have something called the uh, APPU, which is for high profile prisoners where they have their own unit where it's kind of like a hybrid blend of, uh, of PC and population, but it's like a, a, a population of those kinds of prisoners Um inevitably, uh, an inmate of that kind of fame is a target. Uh, and you know uh, it's it's a real quandary. Uh, I, I However, I do find it kind of ironic that um, chauvin uh, chose to go to federal prison over state prison because of the safety concern. Mm. You know, he ran, he took the plea in the federal case to run a concurrent. Uh, and with the stipulation that he served his time in the feds um, and you know it's kind of ironic that that's where he got hurt interesting
1: um, interesting yeah. i hadn't thought about that hey richard uh, your view
2: um it's, it's a big problem big problem in the feds uh, big problem in the state but you look at the feds it's not just the uh, nasser not just the chauvin but you look at um, uh whitey bulger you look at um, uh, Jeffrey Epstein, uh, and then you, you don't hear a lot about the, 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 you know, the, the not famous people. What happens all the time? When I was in jail, I had several people there die. One guy went into the shower in MDC Brooklyn with a razor and, 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 and offed himself. Wow. You know, you have people that, that other people coming at them, that there's uh, uh, you know, so that, like a gang issue, there's, there's other issues. There, people die all the time in prison. Um, frankly, you know, they touched upon it, the, 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 uh, the staffing issues. Also, you have rampant employee dishonesty, rampant employee crime with a lot of these, uh, corrections officers, uh, they getting prosecuted left and right. If you see almost, you know, every other week, there's another pr- pr- corrections officer that's being prosecuted. The new director of the Bureau of Prisons, the federal Bureau of Prisons, uh, Colette Peters, uh, got put in as a you know sold as this rehabilitationist, this reformer, but she's still status quo. She's no better than than than, than the last guy in the sense that she's backing uh, these you know cowboy uh, type uh, uh, correctional offices in this in this institutional culture of uh you know of these these correctional officers that 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 uh you know they kind of take it in their own hands they'll they'll beat prisoners they'll 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 look the other way well well uh while, while things happen that's not uh you know that's not what uh what, what the the system needs now there's not a political will Uh, to change Mm -hmm. it. That's the problem. People go to prison, and they they say that the prison is deserving.
1: Gentlemen, we're going to have to end it there. Those of you that were holding and didn't get a question in, I'll get your comment after the top of the hour. I'm sorry. We'll start with your calls in a minute before commendations. Gentlemen, thank you. I hope to see all of you in person again soon. Uh, Keep your nose clean, gentlemen.
0: Wonderful. Thanks, Frank. <laughs> Take Thanks, care, guys. guys. Andrew Thanks.
1: McKenna, Richard Luthman. You can search Richard Luthman on Substack. You can search Andrew McKenna on Amazon. Uh, dumb Crispino, hear him on another radio program sometime soon. Me Keep asking questions.